Good morning, Orangewood. Good to see you. Great worship, right? Let's thank our worship team again. Thank you. Oh, I love it. I, I, I love it. I, you know, did you love that song, I've Seen the Light? So I saw some of you raising your hand. I almost became a charismatic here today. I want you to know. It was awesome. Isn't it great to be a Presbyterian? Huh? We believe the gospel. The gospel sets us free. Uh, you know, Sunday worship is a wonderful time for us to, in a very real sense, renew the covenant of grace that we have with the Father. That's what it's about. Coming together, remembering who we are, what he's done, and celebrating all that we have in Christ. Well, we're going to look into his word, but before we do that, let's quickly bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Our great God, we do come this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a privilege it is to be your children. And you know who we are. You know every one of us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know the needs in this place. And even as we sit before your word right now, you know the hearts and the minds that are wandering toward what's going to happen tomorrow or toward the fears that they have for today or, 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 or for the pains that they're experiencing right this very moment. You know us. You know, you know we need Jesus every day of our life. And so as we come into your presence, we pray that, Lord, you would open our hearts, uh, sharpen our minds that we could know your truth, and all because of what Jesus has done. And so we pray, Lord, now that you would grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened by your spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And that being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we can be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's our desire as we look into your word today. We pray that you'd be with us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, I got to tell you, Chuck Berry had the impossible task of preaching through Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 17. And I got, I got to take ownership. I was the one that split up the text of Scripture to give him 17 verses of some of the most densely packed teaching in the New Testament is a challenge for any pastor and theologian. Uh, but the reality is it was a great, great text. And, and what, what Chuck did last week was he leveraged us into the second half of the book of Ephesians. We've been studying through the book of Ephesians, and, and he really took us into what I call the so what section of, of the book of Ephesians, the second half of the book. And you say, well, what do you mean, so what? Well, well, the reality is, is that when we read the letters of the Apostle Paul, so often what happens is in the first part of the book, he gives us the, the, impli- the, the teaching of the gospel. You know that the epistles... Uh, flesh out the work of Christ that so often in the, in the, in the letters of the New Testament, uh, the apostles teach us the deeper uh, realities of, of what happened, what Jesus actually accomplished. So in the first part of the book, we got the, the indicatives or the facts of the gospel. What happened at a deep, deep level? And then as we go into the second half of the book, we find the so what, the implications, the how it affects us in our everyday life. And so Chuck launched us into that in a big way, and we continue that today. You know, the, you know, you know we, could spend, we could spend years in Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. We re, I don't know, who, who was it? I want to ask some of the pastors here. Uh, 
who spent the longest time in the book of Ephesians? Joe, I can't remember. Was it Lloyd-Jones, five years in Romans? I don't know how many years he could have spent in Ephesians, but we could do that. But the gospel is more than just classroom, isn't it? Christians are more than heady people. We're about truth, but we're about truth that gets applied into our everyday life. You see, the gospel has to break into the world, and then it has to break into us, and then it has to break out through us. And so the so what part of the, of the letters of the New Testament is how did the gospel break into us and now how does it break out through us into our everyday life? Uh, and, 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 and we, we come here remembering on every Sunday how great it is that we're born again. I, I love the gospel, don't you? There is no guilt in life and no fear in death because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Isn't that great? It's powerful. I, I love that when I flew this weekend to an event and every time I fly and hit turbulence, I think this could be it. And Joe's going to have to preach, you know, <laughs> the last minute. And, uh, 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 and, and you know, it, but I know where I'm going. I love the story of the pastor who was doing a children's sermon at the front of the church and he had all the kids come forward. He says, how many of you guys want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand except this one little boy, Johnny. And he said, Johnny, I thought you wanted to go to heaven when you died. He said, oh, when I die, I thought you were getting up a group to go right now. (laughs) You know, so (laughs) I'm all about heaven. Isn't it wonderful that we're going to heaven? But the reality is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a powerful application to the here and the now. What did Jesus say? What did John the Baptist say as they began their ministries? The kingdom of heaven is what? It's at hand. It's at hand. It's here. It's as close as it could possibly be. Now, now there's a very real sense that in the coming of Jesus, of course, the gospel came clear, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but But of course, after creation, was God here? Did God ever create and then walk away? No, no. I I know some of you younger people are saying, you're old. I I am. I remember the time when um, they, remember remember when lawn, power lawnmowers, you could crank those suckers up and walk away from them? How many remember that? Good, good, some of you are. I remember that. You can't do that anymore, can you? You can't do that. But I remember that you could crank up a power mower, walk away, and it would still run. But that was extremely dangerous. In fact, when I was very young, I remember seeing a man horribly injured because of that kind of a thing. Uh, and so now, if you're, going to, if you're going to do a lawnmower, those of you who mowed lawns yesterday, you know, you got to do that lever, right? You got to hold the lever back, then you pull the deal. Some of you haven't mowed a lawn in a long time. You go, really? Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I had to buy a new mower because of my neighbor's leaves. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm a little bitter about that. But the, um, So uh, you have to hold that lever. But if you let go of that lever, what happens? It goes off. You see, God, when he created the heavens and the earth, the reality is, is that he had his hands on everything and was here and held everything together. Colossians tells us that Jesus holds the the laws of nature together. Gravity wouldn't work if it weren't for Jesus. He holds the power on. So he's always been here. However, when Jesus came 
there is a very real sense that the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. And the resources of the king and the kingdom are ours every day. There is not one area of life that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not affect. It affects our masculinity men. It affects your femininity women. It affects our time, our treasures, our talents. It affects every aspect of our life. It affects trials, our health, right? The gospel has implication in every area of our life. And so what Paul is going to be dealing with now in this second half of the book is what I call deliberate discipleship. How the reality of the gospel breaks into us is what the Spirit of God does. We talked about that in the first part of the book. Now, we're going to see how the gospel is to break out of us in very practical ways to affect the world around us. Uh, and, uh, and it's very, very deliberate. Now, without very long introduction, here we go. Let me read eight verses. I gave Chuck, what, 17 verses last week? Eight verses. This is going to be easy. And uh, so let's take a look at this. There's two major points that come out of these eight verses. So this is God's holy word. Look at this. The apostle Paul says, so this I say, based on what, what he said last week, this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reverence to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Powerful truth. Well, deliberate discipleship. The application is seen really, you, you probably picked out the two points. In fact, just this text is so clear, any one of you could preach this text right now. Uh, and if anybody wants to storm the pulpit and take over, uh, I'll, walk, I'll walk away. But, but there's two easy points here that flow from this text about what it means to follow Jesus Christ and for the gospel to break out of it. Deliberate discipleship, first of all, has uh, the deliberate break with the past in verses 17 through 19. So Paul says, based on everything that Jesus has done, to be a disciple today with a deliberate tendency and a deliberate intentional focus means we make an intentional break from the past. That's very simple. Uh, He says, I affirm, I say, I love it when Paul does this, this I say and affirm together with the Lord. Now that's a good combination. An apostle who saw the resurrected Lord and the Lord Jesus himself. Apostles speak the word of the Lord. He say, this is what we say, walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. Some of you are saying, but I'm a Gentile. Well, the other Gentiles, the Gentiles without Jesus in the culture around. 
And so Paul invokes his authority and he says, uh, there, there's a new way to live. Uh, and this is exactly, see what the Greeks did. Some of you have studied Greek philosophy. What the Greeks did is they basically invented a philosophical life system that said, let's do life without God. Let's do life simply with human reason. That's what Greek philosophy is. It's thinking through life. You can go back, Aristotle, Plato, you, you can name them all. And all of that is how do we do life? How do we figure out what is the ultimate nature of reality? Fire, water, whatever. No. Or maybe it's just human reason. And so they were trying to do life without God. But Paul says, y- y- that's not going to work. That's what kills you. You want to you bring unsuccess into your life as a Christian. You want to destroy your life, then do life like the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, try to figure out your life using human reason alone. Why is it so bad? Why do we have to make an intentional break from the way we used to do life? Well, because of, the, of their mind. Look at this. He says their minds are futile. Their minds are futile. And I'll bet you Everybody here thinking about going to work tomorrow is thinking, I know somebody who is just like this. I work with this person. Their mind is futile. I mean, they don't seem to accomplish what they should accomplish. They drive me crazy. But before we come to faith in Christ, our minds are futile. In other words, the fall has affected our minds. Sin has affected our minds so greatly that they are, our minds are unproductive. It's not that they can't accomplish good things or important things. It's just that they can't think God's thoughts after him anymore. That's the reality. Our minds become futile. And there's an illustration of this. And I asked somebody before that I preached if I had told this before. I hope, you know, some of you know, I like to hike mountains in Colorado. One time I was out there, we were hiking a 14er, and I, 14,000 feet, it was kind of a dangerous one, and I, my friends were there, and they wanted to hike it, and I took them up, and I'd never been up this mountain, and I, and I got up to this point, and there's a place we could have fallen, and we could all have been killed, and so I was taking these guys that had never hiked a mountain like that before up there, good thing to do, take your friends to some dangerous place. They wanted to hike it. It was the only one nearby. We got up there and we made it up to the top. And I want you to know my legs were shaking as we sat on the peak of this 14er. I was just recovering. I was so glad that my friends didn't get killed. I was glad to be alive too. And, uh, and this guy pops up there and he sits down and he had climbed up the mountain. He was, he was like this. And he goes, hey, want some gin? I go, Gin? No, I want to get down this mountain alive. And, 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 and he really, he had, a, he had a flask of gin and it was dangerous. It was, it, so anyway, so I, he, we finally, he goes down, we go down a couple hours later, we're down there. He sees me at the car and he goes, hey, want a beer? I go, no, no, thanks. I just want a little more water. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, then a little while he shows back up, we're waiting for our, one guy to come down. He goes, hey, you want a bowl? I'm going cereal. I'm looking at him. He's got a crack pipe. No, I don't want, I know. I don't want a bowl. And so I started thinking about this guy and I nicknamed him gin boy. And I, as I think about this guy, you know, we were talking, I tried to, I was trying to find out his story about his family and everything. And he's divorced and a life is absolutely a mess. What happened to this guy? 
It's Colorado. <laughs> Pot, gin, crack, his mind. Students, your parents are really not trying to mess up your life. They're trying to put you on the right path, right? So what happened to Jin Boy? His mind was messed up. Sin messes our mind up. Theologians call that the noetic effects of the fall. Sin affects every aspect of our personality, the way we think, the way we feel, and the decisions that we make. And so that's why we have to make a break from the past. We have to make a break from the past or we're going to be in big, big trouble. Uh, so, because our minds are, are, are darkened. We have an excluded life that we're on the outside. You see, the way we have, why we have to make a break from the past is because we put God on the sidelines and we have an excluded life. And then we have a hard heart, verses 18 through 19. When people keep God out of their life, when they keep God out here, it affects their heart. And I think that's what's going on more and more and more in America today. I see it in politics. Don't you see it? I see it all the time. I see Washington. I don't want to get political here. It doesn't matter what party you're in because we see it in both parties. But I see the hardness of heart more than I've ever seen it before. In the Atlanta airport, I was so glad to see that they had signs up about uh, if you see any problems with, with sex trafficking, let's stop it. We got to, That's great. But here we have the, the I'm so thankful for you and, 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 and the pro-life movement in America because our hearts are harder in America today. Sin hardens us toward things that, that we wouldn't be hardened toward. Uh, and, and it leads to a, a heart that leaves a, an unbelievably immoral lifestyle. Verse 19, they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for all kinds of practices. I was talking to a young man once in our church who had come out of a gay lifestyle. And I was trying to understand that, and I was talking to him, and he says, Pete, you, you do not want to know what we did. It was absolutely unbelievable, and I can't talk about it. And this is why the life that so many people live that you know, that I know, is absolutely devastating. And in Christ, the discipleship that we're called to, because we are free, as we sang this morning, in Christ we're free, we're going to celebrate that in the Lord's Supper in just a minute. The reality is, is we've got to make a break from the past. That's how deliberate we have to be as Christ followers. But secondly, we have to take a deliberate break in of God in the presence, verses 20 through 24. And I'm just going to look at this briefly because this sets us up for communion. And so the big contrast, but you did not learn Christ in this way. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted uh, in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. How do we do that? I don't even need to explain that. I just need to say, how do we do this? Because deliberate discipleship means that as a Christ follower, I am, I am saying, I want to make a break from the way I used to be. My temper, my anger, my lust, all that stuff. I want to move ahead and I want the gospel to break in. I want my mind to be renewed 
And I, 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 I want to put on the new self. I don't want to live with the old self. How do we do it? Let me just share briefly, quickly, some things I've learned over the years uh, about how, uh, as we lay aside the old and put on the, uh, have the mind renewed and put on the new self, because this, that's intentional discipleship, isn't it? That's deliberate discipleship. So, the, so really, the, the first thing I've learned over the years about how to uh, let the break-in be real, to let the good works that God ordained for us before the foundation of the world to break out through us, is to have my mind renewed by God in his holy, holy word all the time. I, and I, I literally have to spend time with Jesus as much as I can. If I'm going to be changed from the inside out, I got, I, this is what I've learned. Uh, you may not be as toxic as I am. Uh, you may not have as many sins to overcome as I do, but I need Jesus all the time. I got to spend time with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and as Romans says, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I, I have, because my mind was fallen and still has the tendency to go back that way, I have to have my mind continually renewed day by day. And once a week on Sunday isn't going to do it. Because I'm preaching. And I need to get it every day. I need the word of God. And so that's a powerful thing. Proximity, you see, really is what, what brings about transformation. And, and so this, this is, by the way, this is, this is radical new truth, isn't it? You never heard this before, have you? How transformative is the word of God? It just is. And that's how we, how we lay aside the old, put on the new. I, I was reading Luke the other day, and I was amazed as I've been reading through it slowly. I'm underlining yellow and red. I'm seeing all this stuff. I didn't see this before. And I've been studying the Bible since the time of Luke himself. <laughs> the Bible unfolds it over and over and over, and renews us. And so there's a very real sense that in the body of Christ, in a church like this, which we understand is a multi-generational movement, a church is a multi-generational movement. And whether you're young or you're old, whether you are a young, idealistic Christian or an old, kind of cantankerous Christian, the reality is we have got to stay open to the Word of God renewing our minds every day, right? Would you agree with that? You know, somebody sent me a sign the other day. It said something like, what was this? He goes, I never dreamed that one day I'd become a grumpy old man, but here I am crushing it. <laughs> I love that. I, I have seen arrogant and idealistic young Christians and, and caustic, cynical old Christians. And what we need is together to allow our minds to be renewed as we rely on kingdom resources and allow the gospel to redefine our identity in Jesus Christ. I, at this seminar I spoke at this weekend, uh, I talked about how the difference between guilt and shame. And this guy came up afterwards and said, you didn't talk about me. I said, well, what's your deal? He goes, well, I was raised in the Catholic church and I was abused. My, son, my brother and I were both abused. And I live with shame every day. 
which illustrates the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, I have done bad. Shame is, I am bad. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is an undoing of both guilt and shame as he redefines our identity in Christ. But I got to be on that every day or I will slip into guilt, legalism, anger, unforgiveness, and shame. Then I need to spend time in the presence of great people. Helping to put on the new man is when I spend time with godly people in community, studying the word of God. I need to be with good people. Did you hear about that old Hallmark card that said, uh, it was a fake Hallmark card, but it said something like, uh, we've been friends for a long time. How about we stop? Harsh. Huh? It's not a real Hallmark. Some of you are saying, I want to get that card and send. It's not a real card, but there's some people that we need to stop being around in order to spend time with people that help us put on the new man. Lay aside the old, put on the new, and be renewed. And then communion. This is a way to feed on Christ so that we can lay aside the old and put on the new. To begin that process of looking at the good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Which we're going to talk about more next week. Paul's got a whole list. It's going to be great. But it starts with us really understanding that discipleship is pretty deliberate, isn't it? It's saying no to the old. And it's intentionally being involved in putting on the new by God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege to call you Father. What a privilege to come and bring our guilt and our shame to you. And we ask that you would renew us to build everything that we are on Jesus. And now as we prepare to be with you in this time of a sacrament, we pray that you would speak in a powerful way. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.